That's crazy. <laughs> That's just downright crazy. <laughs> That's fun. Mike, you've been doing this a long time, haven't you? <laughs> That's good. Hey, we've uh, Summer of Love, Can You Dig It? We've had a lot of fun with our theme, uh, the Summer of Love, uh, this summer. Uh, but I'll tell you what, to do the Summer of Love, we've had to do a little bit of uh, historical reinterpretation, all right? Because the original Summer of Love, 50 years ago in San Francisco, wasn't as uh, culturally, well, it wasn't really a cultural high point, let's just say, in, the, in our nation's history. So we've had to kind of take the fun parts and leave some other parts behind because the original Summer of Love, 50 years ago, 1967, a bunch of young people, searching souls, went to San Francisco. About 100,000 people, if you can imagine, 100,000 people in their teens and 20s converged on San Francisco. And uh, it was an act of rebellion. And 100,000 people, they go to San Francisco, they throw off all restraint for the summer, all right? And they indulge in a summer-long uh, party of sex and drugs and rock and roll, and that's what it was like. And uh, they, during this time, they experimented with new religious ideas and experiences, and Eastern religion kind of gets, begins to get a foothold in the United States through this kind of back door, the summer of love. And they threw off all accepted truth and all, all the accepted restraints of culture and just started all kinds of experimentation. And uh, in many ways, that summer planted some seeds that are bearing fruit in our culture today and not necessarily in a good way. So the original Summer of Love, wasn't, it wasn't all copacetic. But in our Summer of Love, this summer... We have done the opposite. We've done the opposite. Because part of our summer has been about love. Uh, loving each other. Loving our faith family. Loving our neighbors. Loving our city. And we've taken some action in each of these different departments. You know, each of these different categories. We've spent some time loving each other. And we had, at the beginning of the summer and the end of the summer, two events that were just planned for our faith family to hang out and spend time together and get to know each other better. Tacos and tie-dye at the beginning of the summer and then Good Vibrations just a couple weeks ago. Both of those really fun events, loving each other. We've uh, also invested in loving our neighbors as a, a few of us have taken the offer of uh, throwing a block party. I'd like to see more of us get a vision for loving our neighbors and throwing a party in our neighborhood uh, as the opportunities uh, continue to arise in, you know, fall and then next summer, and obviously it doesn't have to be an outside party either, but so we threw some block parties for our neighbors and showed our neighbors some love, and then we loved our city by having a big party at Washington Park and really especially focused on our Spanish-speaking population, and we had a, a food and, and things to give away, and that was a beautiful time, really was fun and a way of really serving some people who had 
who had needs. And then even just yesterday, well, actually all summer long, we've been implementing these reverberate imagination proposals. Okay, so a bike repair clinic at the Christian Aid Center and a, a swing for disabled kids. It's, we're in the middle of working out the details with the parks uh, department here in town. And then yesterday, the culmination of a big project that Brad Titus had put together uh, painting someone's house, an 87-year-old man who lives alone, just him and his dog, and needed his house painted, and uh, we were able to see that come to fruition, and, uh, and it's all done. Loved somebody by painting their house, and beautiful, beautiful job yesterday. And so uh, we have been loving as part of the summer of love, but for us that's only been part of our summer. The other part of the summer of love at Trinity has been about truth. It's been about truth. Uh, That's what Can You Dig It has been about. It's been about touching on the most important truths that we hold to as a faith family. And uh, that's more, that's less reminiscent of the 50-year anniversary of the Summer of Love. And this dedication to truth is a little more reminiscent of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, which we're celebrating this year. And the Reformation, uh, a movement that stood for truth. And the truth is, no one is ever going to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Summer of Love in San Francisco. But they'll celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation and the 1,000th anniversary of the Reformation if Jesus doesn't come back between now and then. But uh, So instead of having a Summer of Love that throws off truth, which some people think uh, you, have, you can't love, you have to either choose love or truth, Instead of having a summer of love that throws off truth, we have had a summer of love that embraces truth and that celebrates truth and that actually solidifies truth in our minds and and as a faith family. And that's what Can You Dig It has been about, exploring groovy truths about God and you. And here's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. This morning's simple. It's real simple. Uh, We're going to celebrate communion, and as part of that... We're going to be focusing on, uh, on something that we learned throughout this whole series, uh, Can You Dig It? Because as we've explored these different truths every Sunday, and you, know, you, know, you come and you didn't know who was speaking, you didn't know who, what the subject was going to be, but, but it didn't matter who was speaking, it didn't matter what the subject was, something kept happening, and that is that every one of these truths kept leading us back to the same place. It keeps, they kept leading us back to the same place. All these truths really point to one big truth, the central truth that we call the gospel, the good news. Every one of these truths just took us to the same place, that, that this God that we're talking about who has revealed truth to us, that the most important truth that he's revealed to us is the truth about his son and who he is and what he's done for us, that that uh, this God who loves us so much gave us his son who died in our place and rose again so that we can have a repaired relationship with God. And all these different truths that we've looked at, they all keep either leading to this moment or emerging from this moment, this core moment, the gospel. And that's what I want us to be aware of this morning as we wrap up this series. Just the central place of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, We've explored 12 different truths this summer, and they've all brought us to this point. You have in your worship folder an insert 
that's uh, Trinity's doctrinal statement. The truths that Trinity, that the, the faith family of Trinity holds to. And what I'd encourage you to do sometime today, maybe, is to take that home with you and read through that. And here's what you could do. You could look up a couple scriptures if you want to. But the other thing you, you could do is you could stop and think about how each one of these different doctrines takes us to the gospel. As we look back on these uh, last several weeks and these different truths, we can see how each of them takes us to that, th- this same point. Take the idea of the Bible. We talked about the Bible at the very beginning of the series. The Bible. And, and uh, we talked about how uh, there's really one big idea in the Bible. There's one story. It's not a bunch of different stories. It's really one overarching story. And the one overarching story is how God is at work in the world bringing mankind back to himself through his son Jesus. So you study the doctrine of bibliology and it leads you to Jesus. We talked about the doctrine of God, theology proper, and uh, Josh Wheatley preached on Exodus 34 and reminded us how God, of how God uh, is gracious and compassionate. A- and uh, he would rather bless than punish. And we see that working out of the God who would rather bless than punish by, by seeing God deal with rebellious people. But in, instead of uh, wiping them out, he sends his son to win them back to himself. We see it in the doctrine of the Trinity, where Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in the process of our salvation. We've seen it in the doctrine of uh, mankind, that man has both dignity and depravity, that there is dignity to who we are because we're made by God and we're made in His image. But on the other hand, there is also depravity, that every one of us is, is uh, spoiled to the core and in need of eternal rescue. We see it in the doctrine of Jesus and his identity as fully God and fully man. And that as fully God and fully man, he could die in our place and pay the penalty for our sin. The doctrine of salvation, that's called soteriology. And and we talked about that. And we talked about how uh, really it's God is at work saving the world and that he saves on the basis of faith in his Son. Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, that the person of God indwells us personally. God's personal presence is in you if you're a Jesus follower. And that God's personal presence in you is part of something he promised long ago and is going to bring to total fruition someday. That is your full sanctification. We talked about that idea. And uh, then uh, as we came to the end of the series, we were, uh, we were reminded of the importance of the church, this doctrine that's called ecclesiology. That, that the church, this, this group of Jesus followers who gather together in a local body on a regular basis to worship God and to encourage and equip each other, that it's God's tool for working in the world, and that's how God is doing his work in the world through this organization called the body of Christ, the church. And then future things, this doctrine called eschatology, how Jesus is coming back. He is coming back with a reward for everyone, a reward or a punishment on the basis of how they have uh, dealt with him. 
and that everyone, as Glenn talked about last week, that every one of us will be resurrected physically in a body and will spend eternity in a physical body, either with Jesus for eternity or separated from him in eternal punishment and the doctrine of the resurrection. All these truths, that you see how they all have to do with Jesus, his death and resurrection, and what we do with that. Each of these truths lead to the gospel. But, and, and so we connect with the gospel through teaching like this, through teaching truths. We connect with the gospel. And we connect with the gospel when we worship, when we sing music. But we also connect with the gospel in another way. And that's through this act of worship called communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. You know, different traditions call it different things. But uh, when we participate in this symbolic act, which we're going to do in a few minutes, we are again connecting to the gospel. So we connect to the gospel through teaching. We connect to the gospel through uh, music. We connect to the gospel through this physical symbolic act that we're all going to participate in here in a minute. And as we prepare to do that, I want us to read a passage that's going to help us do that. This passage is really meant to do two things, to prepare us for communion and also to kind of illustrate for us how all these different truths continue to just take us straight to the gospel. So take your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11. And in 1 Corinthians 11, this is a familiar passage for... Communion, I read it often when we take, when we have Lord's Supper together, because it's Paul kind of reminding the church of what this is and why it matters. But what's interesting to me is to read it in light of, can you dig it? Because if you read this passage where Paul's instructing the church about the Lord's Supper, you see a bunch of different truths embedded in it. Some of these same doctrines that we've explored this summer are found in this passage. So we're going to read the passage. I want you to see if as we read it, you can see a little bit of what I'm talking about. Then we're going to go back through it one more time, and then we'll take communion together. So we're going to begin here in verse 23. So we're in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed... Took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay. Uh, We're getting ready to affirm what we believe when we take communion. That's what we're going to do. We're going to affirm what we believe. And as we do that, I want us to see that we're not only affirming the gospel, that I believe in Jesus, that he died for me and rose again. We're affirming a lot of other truths that feed into the gospel. That's what I want us to see as we we explore this passage. that we're not just affirming our faith in Jesus, we're also affirming all these other truths that feed into that, feed into that idea. So, uh, just phrase by phrase, if you look at this teaching, it's just interesting to go through here and see the different doctrines that are represented in these few verses 
Uh, for one, the very first phrase is, is this, I receive from the Lord what I passed on to you. Now, that's, we're kind of going through the back door on this one a little bit, but really this is some bibliology here. This is the Bible. This is uh, representa- representative uh, in many ways of how we got our Bibles. That, that there was uh, Paul, or uh, a person authorized by God, Paul actually encountered some kind of uh, experience and teaching directly from the Lord. And then what he did is he wrote it down. He wrote it down and gave it to Jesus' followers. And then Jesus' followers took what was written down, and it's been perpetuated for the rest of us. So kind of uh, indirectly, we have even just the teaching of the Bible and, and how we got it and where it comes from. I received from the Lord... I passed it on to you, this, this truth. And that's how we know much of what we know about who God is and how he's worked in the world. So there's a little, little bit of bibliology here. Truth revealed from God to men and then recorded for us with no loss of clarity, no loss of content, no loss of authority. Notice this. Another thing that we see in the passage. He says, uh, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. Notice what he calls him. He calls him the Lord, the Lord Jesus. So three times in this passage, I receive from the Lord, then we have the Lord Jesus, and then we have at the very end, the Lord's death. I want you to see who Paul calls Jesus. Who does he think Jesus is? He thinks he's the Lord. Not not an exalted rabbi. Certainly not an ordinary person. He doesn't even call him Messiah here. He calls him Lord. He he gives him the highest status possible. This word Lord, it's the Greek word kurios, and it's often used to translate the old, when when translating the Old Testament, often translated Yahweh, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's what this word was often used. I mean, Paul is choosing this word Lord to communicate the exalted status of Jesus. Lord Jesus. Jesus. So here we have the doctrine of Jesus, fully God and fully man. The doctrine that Jesus is the one God sent, that's Christology. That Jesus is Lord Jesus. He's God in the flesh. Notice also, he says, uh, this is, he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Now think about what we've just said. The Lord has a body. The Lord has a body. The doctrine of incarnation, second person of the Trinity, takes on human flesh. This is my body. And then, very next phrase, this is my body which is for you. Doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. Okay, Jesus' body for us, for our benefit. Notice the next phrase. This cup is the, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Uh, Jesus instituted a new covenant that replaced the Old Testament, the old covenant. The old covenant was characterized by 
uh, effort and performance and failure and trying again and falling short. The, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was marked by effort and constant, you know, daily sacrifice and following rules and regular. And Jesus replaced it with a new covenant. A new covenant that's grace and good for nothing, and marked by rest and certainty and acceptance. The next, next we see, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when, whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. Now let's stop there. You know, we have behind that idea. Whenever you do this, we have the doctrine, again, of the church. That it's assumed God's people are going to come together on a regular basis And one of the things that they're going to do is they're going to worship Jesus through communion. The doctrine of the church. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Next idea. You proclaim the Lord's death. Again, the centrality of Jesus' death and even the role of the church as disciple makers. The ones who proclaim the Lord's death. And then finally, the very last phrase, you proclaim, every time you participate in this act, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now we have the doctrine of eschatology, future things, the completion of what God began. And all these truths are embedded in this simple act of communion, that God has been at the work in the world, that he's winning people to himself through his son Jesus. That by faith in him, we can leave the, uh, a life of performance and, and accomplishment and instead enter a relationship with God marked by grace and acceptance. And as we live like that, we demonstrate to other people who Jesus is until the day that he comes back. So that's probably more than you think about when the communion cup and the bread go by. But this morning, we'd kind of like to tie all these things together and uh, remind us that all these truths feed into the centrality of the gospel, which is why we want to culminate this series by taking communion. So as we do that this morning, we're going to teach doctrine as we celebrate communion. And uh, together, we're going to affirm this together. So here's how I'd like for us to do it. I'm going to ask my guys to come forward in just a minute and help me serve And then when we do, we're going to pass out the bread and the cup at the same time. And you just hang on to both of those. Hang on to both of those while we listen to a song. Then we're going to have a a time of of reflection. And then together as a corporate body, because we want to, uh, together this morning, affirm corporately that we accept these things, that, that we believe who Jesus is and all the truths that feed into it. So we want to do that together. So you'll just hang on to the bread and hang on to the cup as we pass both of those out at the same time. And uh, then together we'll uh, have this time of remembrance. Now, the qualifications for taking communion, the Bible is pretty clear that, uh, that communicate. Uh, Communion is for Jesus' followers who are living in alignment with him. So that's kind of the same rule we have this morning. We don't have any rules about how many times you have to be here or whether you're a member or not a member or anything like that. If this is your first time with us, we welcome you to take communion uh, based on two things. Number one, that you're a Jesus follower, that, that there's a time in your life when you look to Jesus as the one that God sent and you turn from, from yourself and whatever you were depending on for your relationship with God and instead 
you look to Jesus. If that is a, a decision that you've made in your life, then you're welcome to participate. The second qualification is just that we're living in alignment with that decision. Not perfectly. No one lives in that way perfectly, but that there is not a, a blatant rebellion. You're not living in a, way, in, a, in a time of sin in your life. Paul goes on to say in this same passage that if you worship God through communion uh, and you don't, you are living in a way that's not consistent with that and in rebellion against that, then you're endangering yourself of God's discipline even to the point of death. So that's why Paul says, he takes a moment there in that same passage and he says in verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. If you're a Jesus follower living in alignment with Jesus, even if this is your first time here, you're welcome to participate. But all of us need to stop and examine ourselves before we worship God in this way. And if this morning you feel like uh, it's best not to, uh, maybe for you not to participate this morning, instead you want to spend this time just you and God getting back on the same page, then that might be a good idea. Uh, we were painting this house, Reverberate Project house, yesterday, and painting is always frustrating. You know, it's just frustrating. And I said, uh, I said to Kenlin, I said, usually I try not to paint on, on Saturdays before I have to lead communion the next day. <laughs> it's just not a good, it's not a healthy spiritual practice for me. So, but I did, and uh, God and I, we were, we were okay. But this is a time for you to think about that and take it seriously. So I'm going to ask my men who are serving, if you'll come and have a seat here, please. And then what I'd like to do is take about one minute, which might feel like an eternity. And uh, we're just going to have a time of quiet, something something we don't usually do, time of quiet and a time of introspection. And Paul says everyone should examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. So... Why don't we do that for just a minute? I'll open us with prayer. Father, as we come into your presence, we invite your spirit to speak to us, to uh, probe our hearts, point out sin, encourage us, and direct our hearts towards this important truth that we're celebrating this morning, Jesus and his death for us.